Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football. I am your host, Daniel Ocho. In this episode, I am flying solo and I am talking to you guys about NFL coaches, NFL coaching schemes, and how some of the new coaches are going to really change the way that we bet on these teams, right? How they're going to change these offenses and how some guys may be getting more opportunity, maybe getting less opportunity, and how that affects to how we're thinking about betting on these teams. So without further ado, let's get started. Let's begin as we always do with this week's big idea. What's the idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? This week's big idea is schemes and the way that offenses are schemed and defenses are schemed impact the way that we bet on football in ways that are not immediately apparent. So what do I mean when I'm talking about schemes here? So let's say Matt Eberflus, the new coach of the Bears. He runs a 4-3 defensive scheme, which uh, employs four defensive linemen, uh, three linebackers, one Mike, which is the middle linebacker, one Sam, strong side, and one Will on the weak side. Uh, similarly, Mike McDaniels, the new Dolphins coach, he runs a zone-blocking offense. It's like a power zone offense that is reticent of the Mike Shanahan, the Kyle Shanahan offense that has sort of dominated the league over the last 20 or so years. Uh, famously, Mike Shanahan was the Denver Broncos coach who sort of revolutionized the running offense by introducing this zone blocking concept, uh, which was notably different and markably different from the gap blocking concepts that had dominated football to that point. So now Matt Berfelis and Mike McDaniels are running those sort of base schemes, a power zone and a 4-3 defense. But within those schemes, they're going to have their own unique flourishes that sort of make their scheme stand out. So for example, Sean McVay is another power zone coach. Uh, but he does not run the same offense that Kyle Shanahan does. He has his own flourishes where Kyle Shanahan employs a lot of tight ends, tight formations and um, sort of power running. Sean McVay has taken those same concepts and used 11 personnel, meaning there's three wide receivers on the field and a lot of movement to open up those lanes. Each of these coaches has sort of iterized this zone blocking concept and added their own flourishes. So what I think is the most difficult part of assessing a new coach coming in is we don't really know when they first come in how they are going to iterize whatever system they're coming from. So typically, a lot of these coaches come from systems that have been around for a long time. They intern places. They served as a quality control coach places. They served as an offensive coordinator places. And until we actually see these guys calling plays, we don't know how that's going to manifest itself. For example, Kevin O'Connell is a coach we're going to talk about today. Um, and so is Mike McDaniels. They're from the Sean McVay tree, right? But when they get an offense of their own, they're in all likelihood going to try to bring some of the things they learned from other stops. A lot of these coaches that are coming in this year just happen to be from that Kyle Shanahan slash Sean McVay tree. There's no coincidence there. Anyone who's been following the league has looked around the league and seen that the best role in football right now is to be standing next to Sean McVay because they hired Sean McVay's quarterback coach to be the head coach of the Bengals a few years ago, and that guy went to the Super Bowl. At this point, all these NFL teams are basically salivating over the thought of getting their own one of these Sean McVay acolytes or Kyle Shanahan acolytes because these offenses have just done so well and they've gotten to the Super Bowl. Last year, we finally saw one of these offenses win a Super Bowl in this sort of modern era. So the challenge in sort of forecasting how some of these offenses will actually work 
uh, how some of these new coaches will run their teams. It's sort of a guessing game, right? Because while a coach may have most recently worked under a Sean McVay or a coach who runs a particular type of scheme, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is how they envision their own offense, right? So, for example, and we'll talk about this with Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniels the last couple of years has run this sort of power running team, ball control, bottom of the league, near the bottom pass attempts. And how much of that has been protecting his quarterbacks over the last two years? How much of that has been situation? When you look back at Josh McDaniels when he was a head coach, you see a guy who really prioritized throwing the football. He's a guy who really wanted to be near the top of the league in pass attempts, even when he had a guy like Kyle Orton at quarterback. Far too often, we kind of get caught up in the narratives of player versus player, corner versus receiver, quarterback versus quarterback, where the signal callers, the guys who are scheming up these games are the most important factors in how a lot of these games play out in terms of yards from scrimmage, whether a running back is hitting their over, their player prop, whether a receiver is getting a lot of volume, whether teams playing with a high pace or they're playing with a more ball control tactic. That is determined on a schematic level, and a lot of times that is in reaction to a coach's scheme or just sort of an ideology that permeates through an offense. So let's take a look at last year's Chargers team, just to sort of illustrate this point. They were coached by first-year coach Brandon Staley. This was a team that could not stop the run to save their life. They were ranked near the bottom of the league in basically every run category the entire season. But what I think gets glossed over a lot in that discussion of that Chargers defensive team and that defensive inefficiency was that this inefficiency against the run was a product of Brandon Staley's system. It wasn't necessarily a design flaw. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous because who wants to be ranked near the bottom of the league defensively? But you have to actually look into the schematics, the the scheme principles of what he's running to understand that this was a team that was purposely siphoning the run, allowing teams in early downs and encouraging them to run the ball early. In knowing that, you can take that into your gambling, right? You can look at a game and say, hey, if all things go according to plan for this Brandon Staley Chargers defense, the other team's going to be running a lot on early downs, right? So you could see volume from the opposing running back. You could also say, I don't know how this may affect the over in this game. Whether it could be a game where it's a ball control game where the other team is running the ball consistently and the time is ticking, ticking, ticking. So Brandon Staley, as I mentioned before, he comes from this sort of 3-4 shell too high schematic background, right? He worked under Vic Fangio, a former coach of the Broncos, former defensive coordinator with the Bears. And without getting too into the weeds on this, what I was referencing before is that part of the shell too high concept that Vic Fangio sort of really innovated with over the last several years and Staley sort of iterated on when he came to the Rams in 2020 as a defensive coordinator and then took that to the Chargers is the idea of presenting offenses with light boxes meaning that there are less linebackers, less defensive backs in the tackle box, meaning that if you're on offense and you see there's less linebackers in the box, you're more inclined to run the ball because there are more guys dropping back. You're sort of cutting off the deep pass. You're sort of dictating the terms of the next play just by saying, hey, if you guys want to run the ball, it's all you. And part of that reasoning is because a lot of the advanced metrics, a lot of these statistics indicate that this is an advantageous position for the defense to be in because they can dictate the terms of how the next play is going to go. So Brandon Staley, he opted to pursue this shell too high light box approach throughout the year. And we saw at various points how well this could work, right? Just look at the box score from the Chargers early season win against the Chiefs. 100 yards rushing for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 45 yards rushing for Mahomes, only 260 yards passing for Mahomes and two interceptions. All this leads to a Chargers victory, right? So now this is a direct result of scheming. The Chiefs fell into the Chargers' defensive trappings and began shifting away from their areas of strength, which is 
deep passes, taking the top off, and they weren't taking advantage of these underneath routes that they sort of figured out as the year progressed. They were simply sort of flummoxed by this Chargers defense because they were buying into this scheme. Now, fast forward three months, December 16th, 2021. The Chiefs ultimately end up beating the Chargers in the rematch overtime game. The Chiefs total more than 500 total yards, over 400 yards passing, over 86 yards on the ground. The difference here is that the Chiefs adjusted to the schematic trappings of the Chargers defense and they reaped the benefits here. They were not inclined to run the ball just because the Chargers were giving it to them. They looked at how the Chargers sort of set up that defense, how they were dictating the terms, and they did not fall into those trappings. And when you're betting on football, you have to acknowledge some of these schemes are really a determining factor in how these game progresses. Why does all this matter? Simply put, knowledge is power when it comes to betting on football, right? So through assessing the schematic history of an incoming head coach, we can attempt to gain some sort of advantage over the books in projecting how players and how the team will benefit from their schematic additions or iterations from where they came from. So what I want to do here today is go through some of the histories of what I think are the more interesting coaches who are coming in this year. So without further ado, I want to dive into the schemes of some of the league's newest head coaches and what these schemes tell us about what the teams may look like as the season progresses. Let's begin with Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett. First off, Nathaniel Hackett is the son of a coach. His father, Paul Hackett, was an innovator with the West Coast offense. He coached uh, Joe Montana with the Chiefs from 93 to 97. He was a big reason that they got Joe Montana, right? He was a coach who came up through the college ranks. He was at University of Pittsburgh, Then he was a Chiefs offensive coordinator for a while uh, during that period. And he also was a head coach of USC for some time. But this is a guy who was known in coaching circles as having some pedigree in terms of revolutionizing and pressing forward this idea of the West Coast offense that Joe Montana made famous in the, in the 80s and 90s. After leaving the Chiefs uh, and going to UFC, he returns to the NFL in 01 to be the offensive coordinator of the New York Jets. So that New York Jets team that he coaches for those three or four year period, he has Chad Pennington. He has Testaverde, I think, the first year. But this is really a Chad Pennington, Curtis Martin team, Lavernius Coles. and. If you go back and read a lot of the literature, a lot of the media coverage around that time, you see a lot of mention of ball control, of using Curtis Martin as sort of the central focal point of their offense, low turnovers, and you see a lot of criticism, right, of Paul Hackett's play calling conservative. So that's not to say that Nathaniel Hackett's going to be his father, because nobody is. You don't necessarily fall into the same trappings as what your father did, but Hackett himself begins in the league in... 2006, he's working under John Gruden of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He works there for two years and goes to the Buffalo Bills. He works as a quality assurance coach from 2008 and 2009 with the Bills, and then he is fired in sort of a bloody Sunday move in 2010. He ends up joining Doug Marone, who famously got his start. I don't know how famously, but he got his start with Nathaniel's father, Paul Hackett, years ago. So Doug Marone becomes head coach of Syracuse football in 2010. He brings on Nathaniel Hackett to work on the staff, and he comes on as a quarterback and tight ends coach. So this quarterback's specialty is something that will become more relevant as we get later into his career. But for now, just know that he's working under Marone. Him and Marone take this no-huddle system that the Bills in the 90s made famous and, and were dominating with, with Jim Kelly and all those years, and that Nathaniel Hackett picked up during his time as a quality assurance coach with Buffalo. They take that to Syracuse, and they just start kicking ass. They are setting school records. Uh, they are really just using this up-tempo offense. They, they make... I think it's Carl Nassib, uh, an NFL level quarterback at Syracuse. They're really doing some incredible stuff. 
So Doug Marone eventually leaves Syracuse to become the head coach of Buffalo, and he brings Hackett to be his offensive coordinator. And I believe this is in 2013 or 2014. Hackett joins Buffalo as the offensive coordinator. This is the year they draft EJ Manuel. Uh, yikes, bad draft pick. Uh, and the first year as an OC, this is his first year as a play caller. They have the 29th ranked passing offense. But they get incredible production from their two running backs at the time. And this is something I really want to highlight here because when you go through Hackett's career, you see he's really getting a lot out of his running backs. So that first year, both Fred Taylor and CJ Spiller finished with over 1,000 scrimmage yards and 70 receptions combined. So now move on to year two. Kyle Orton takes over quarterback for the Bills. No more EJ Manuel. That guy was terrible. Sammy Watkins, as a rookie, sees 128 targets. That is a ton of targets as a rookie. And I think that force-fed situation where Watkins was seeing all that volume may have tricked us all. Tricked us all into thinking that Sammy Watkins was a guy that he was not. And Hackett, listen, he played a big role in that. So this year is a famous year, if you follow fantasy football back then, where C.J. Spiller was sort of ranked as this guy who was going to take that next step and be a superstar fantasy football running back. He famously didn't do that. He was overdrafted. He just wasn't a guy who delivered on that promise. But Fred Taylor still took in 90 targets that year out of the backfield. And the running backs that year between Taylor, C.J. Spiller, and their third string back saw almost 150 targets out of the backfield, which is insane. That is a ton of targets. It just goes to show you that Hackett is really bringing this West Coast offense sensibility to the NFL. These guys are getting the ball out quick. They're moving quickly. They don't want the quarterback holding the ball. So now Marone, fast forward, opts out of his contract with the Bills, 2016. He goes to Jacksonville. Hackett ends up following Marone to Jacksonville. Uh, he's working under him. Gus Bradley is fired. Marone takes over as head coach. And now Nathaniel Hackett, again, has play calling responsibilities. So he takes over as offensive coordinator. Uh, after the firing of Greg Olson in, in 2016. And you look at the first game that Nathaniel Hackett's calling on October 29th, 2016, and we see, again, a commitment to the run. This is a focus of his. 25 carries over 100 yards from Chris Ivory. For those who remember, is not a world beater. Uh, 12 targets for Allen Robinson. It's a volume game for Nathaniel Hackett. Hackett continues to run the offense 2017. He coaches a league-leading rushing attack in 2017 for the Jaguars. Again, over 100 targets for the running back out of the backfield. Allen Robinson misses the full year, so we're not seeing a lot of target volume for any of those receivers. Hackett gets fired in 2018 after a loss. Um, but again, he was coaching in November, and the running backs, again, saw over 100 targets out of the backfield. So fast forward, 2019, Matt LaFleur becomes the head coach of the Packers. He brings in Hackett to help out with that offense, and the offense takes a leap. In 2020, we see 150 targets for Devontae Adams. Again, we're seeing a lot of target volume in these Nathaniel Hackett offenses, right? So here are my sort of quick point takeaways from looking through Hackett's coaching tenure. So first things first, this guy's running a West Coast quick hitting offense. He really emphasizes this zone blocking, quick hitting, check down to the backside of the backfield. He's going to rely heavily on the backside of the backfield and in the red zone, especially he loves his X receiver. So his ex receiver now, he's, he's the new Broncos head coach. I think Cortland Sutton stands to benefit tremendously. I'm going to be looking all season to cash in on Cortland Sutton anytime score bets. I think that Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon will be fun prop moneymakers this year. I think they will both see an increased target volume. At this point of his career, I think Javante Williams is a better receiver out of the backfield, so he may be the primary beneficiary of all this. But I also think Russell Wilson is going to require some rewiring of his brain, right? Because no Russell Wilson team has ever had a running back targeted out of the backfield 100 times or even close, really. No running back on a Russ team has ever seen more than 50 receptions for that matter. This is not something that comes naturally to Russ. He, he wants to extend the play. He doesn't want to dump down. So my takeaway here really is to bet on Javante Williams, look at his season totals, look at a lot of his receiving totals on a week-to-week -week basis, 
and take the over on his yards maybe because a lot of times in these mushy backfields, it's the younger running back who ultimately wins out and proves a better situation to bet on. So moving on, let's talk about Mike McDaniel. And frankly, his history is not as fun as Nathaniel Hackett's, right? He essentially came up within the one big happy zone blocking Mike Shanahan family, right? He was an intern for Mike Shanahan. He ends up uh, joining the Texans as an assistant coach under Kubiak. They share a lot of history there, the Kubiak and Shanahan coaching tree. Ultimately, he joins that 2011 Washington uh, football team coaching staff that becomes famous. We see all the pictures of all the great coaches who are on that staff. In 2015, you see him joining Mike Shanahan on that Mike Pettin Cleveland Browns team. Um, and then he joins Shanahan again in Atlanta on that team that gets to the Super Bowl. Then he follows Shanahan again to San Francisco last year after the departure of Michael LaFleur. So now fast forward 2017, he joins the 49ers staff. He's working uh, in that offensive room. And then finally in 2021, he makes the jump to offensive coordinator. He has one year as an offensive coordinator. He wasn't calling plays, uh, which I don't love. And you'll see that's sort of a recurring theme among a lot of these guys. So my takeaway here is we don't have a lot of game tape on this guy calling games. He came up out of the zone running schemes of Shanahan and Gary Kubiak, but he's a rookie play caller. So I would expect a lot of bumps in the road, especially early in the season before this offense sort of finds its niche, sort of finds how it works, right? So another thing is I think we can expect this is going to be an ugly backfield in terms of production. I think they've signed a lot of starting worthy running backs. They brought in the former Niners back. They brought in Sony Michelle. They already had Miles Gaskin there. They brought in Chase Edmonds. There's a lot of talent in that backfield, and I think he's going to mix and match and get a lot out of that. One thing you see when you go back looking through Mike McDaniel's history, he did a lot of work with the running game, a lot of running game coordination. This seems to be something that's really important with him. And even a lot of the credit he's gotten in terms of turning Debo Samuel into this multi-level threat, it has to do with how he's turned Debo into a part of that running game and how he's opened up that running game by using this receiver who has that skill set. So I'm not necessarily too high on him turning this Dolphins team around because initially I thought that this guy was really going to be a high-powered offense guy. But the more I dug into this, the Niners last year were 29th in the league in pass attempts. But they were 12th in yards, they were 14th in touchdowns. They were really just kicking the shit out of teams on the ground, right? They threw just 52% of the time, which was fourth lowest in the league. And on those 19% went to the running back. So even then, almost a quarter of their passing plays are going to the running back. This is an offense that is predicated on the running back. So I am going into the season extremely high on that rushing offense, but I'm also going to take the under on a lot of the receiving threat props, right? So Tyree Kill is going to be a sexy bet. Jalen Waddle is going to be a sexy bet. Receptions, I think Waddle is going to crush it. Yardage, I'm, I'm a little low on him, a little low on Tyreek as well. It's going to be a low volume offense for the pass catchers. So they need to make the most of their opportunities if they want to score or produce yardage at the level that they've been accustomed to, especially Tyreek Hill. So now I want to talk and move on to Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels is an infamous coach. Uh, he famously pissed off just about everyone in Denver before losing his job. Uh, he is coming in with a sort of power running, counter heavy concept on the ground. And under McDaniels, the Raiders are likely going to use a more gap heavy approach as opposed to the zone blocking system and scheme that Greg Olson was running with them last year. The thing that McDaniels really loves and, and which Hackett also really loved and what I think Mike McDaniel also is going to use a lot of is these quick hitting passes, this sort of West Coast style system where you're getting the ball out really quickly. 
where McDaniels differs from the two guys we talked about is that he's not using this zone gapping. He's using a gap blocking scheme, some a little more traditional, a little more downhill blocking with these tackles and, and these inside interior linemen. McDaniel, especially the last few years, has really loved having heavy personnel on the field. Uh, nobody has used more quick hitting passes to the tight ends over the last several years than McDaniel. Nobody has used more 21 personnel. While the league has sort of gone away from 21, which means one tight end and two running backs on the field, the Pats have done the opposite. They've really leaned into this over the last several years. Since 2017, McDaniel's offense has used it on like 25% of their plays, which was second in the NFL in that span. So this is something that's important to him. And I think if you look at that Raiders offense, they just brought in a rookie running back. They have Josh Jacobs. They have Kenyon Drake. So the way I see that working out for them in terms of betting on the year, I'm low on Josh Jacobs seeing a lot of volume. I may sprinkle a little on him as a touchdown scorer because I think that's a central role in this Josh McDaniels offense. He likes to have the power runner, especially in the red zone, who can just cash in and crush into the end zone. What I love also is some form of Kenyon Drake's reception total is over. I think Drake could be a integral part of this offense. I think he could see a lot of volume through the air. And I think he's going to be on the field a lot because McDaniels loves using two running backs. So I think this Raiders offense has a lot of potential uh, in that backfield. But before we move on from McDaniels, I have to just briefly mention that he was a head coach before 2009, 2010 with the Broncos. I mentioned before he pissed off everybody, right? First year that he's a head coach, we're talking about a top 10 in pass attempts offense. They go eight and eight. He ends up drafting Tim Tebow, but Brandon Marshall's on the team. He sees 150 targets, target hog, X receiver, 150 plus targets. Okay. Next year, Kyle Orton, Brandon Marshall's gone. Jay Cutler's gone. Brandon Lloyd. Brandon Lloyd sees 150 targets. Brandon Lloyd was no world beater. This was a guy who just saw insane target volume out of that X spot in the Josh McDaniels offense, right? Now, Jabbar Gaffney, he sees 100 targets. Eddie Royal sees nearly 100 targets. So I think there's going to be a lot of targets to go around. I'm high on all the receivers in Las Vegas. I'm high on all of them seeing intense volume. McDaniels really wants to embrace this, get the ball out quick, get the ball out to the running backs, get it to quick hitting routes. And I think that Devonta Adams and Renfro especially are really going to benefit from this. I love all their season totals, especially Adams. They'd have to put it pretty insanely high for me not to take the over on his touchdowns, especially. I think McDaniels is going to make a priority of getting Devonta Adams the ball in the red zone. And why not? This is one of the best red zone receivers we've seen in the last several years. And that X receiver is such a target hog in Josh McDaniel's offense that I am extremely high on all their pass catchers going into the season. So now, finally, I want to talk about Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings head coach. Not as fun of a guy to finish up with. I'll just say that, right? So Kevin O'Connell, he's kicked around the NFL for several years. He was in the league as a backup up until 2012. Comes back 2015. He's coaching on the 2015 Cleveland Browns under that Mike Pettin, Kyle Shanahan staff. Sound familiar? Okay. So now he's uh, with this whole power zone running scheme. Goes to the Washington football team in 2017, works under Jay Gruden and Matt Cavanaugh, offensive coordinator, in this more West Coach approach. And then 2019, Kevin O'Connell, due to a confluence of events, suddenly sees himself as a play caller. And he's another one of these guys who actually has experience calling plays. The only bad thing is he wasn't very good at it. So he was promoted to offensive coordinator under Jay Gruden. Ultimately, Jay Gruden was calling plays. He gets fired in October. Kevin O'Connell takes over. And what's unique about him among these McVay acolytes is that he gets this experience before going under the McVay tree to call his own offensive plays. And this offense is truly putrid in 2019. He has Case Keenum and Dwayne Haskins, and whew, it was ugly. And this is a scary stat for me. They finished 31st in average number of plays per game. This shows a lot to me about how the offense sustained drives. And obviously, there was a dearth of talent there. But at the same time, man, they were last in the league in first downs, last in the league in passing offense. It's hard to really assess him based on this data. But 
he also had the second fewest rushing attempts in the NFL in 2019. So all these stats are almost impossible for me to give an objective assessment of this guy as a coach because I'm looking at everything and it all just looks ugly. It's all bad. It's all terrible. Okay. So 2020, there's a cleaning of the house. Everyone's kicked out in Washington. All right. So he's not retained by Ron Rivera. He goes to Sean McVay's staff in LA, becomes offense coordinator. Obviously, you see what happens there. The first year, they're top 10 in 2020 in rushing attempts, top 10 in passing attempts, 21st in plays per game. And 2020 and 2021, we're not seeing really this Kevin O'Connell impact on that offense. This is still very much the Sean McVay motion offense, uh, where we're seeing a lot of preset motion. We're seeing a lot of 11 personnel. This year, 2021, we saw them move a little bit away from that 11 personnel all the time situation but it was very much still the McVeigh offense. So now for Kevin O'Connell, my takeaway is this. He is a mystery. He's likely going to infuse many of the 11 personnel pre-stat motion principles of the McVeigh offense with the principles he came to learn under the Jay Gruden, more West Coast system. Um, but my main takeaway from this is I am not high on Dalvin Cook this year in any season-long stats, any fantasy leagues you may be in. I think that Dalvin Cook is very likely going to see a drastic drop in his volume because everywhere I look, everywhere I go in Kevin O'Connell's background, he's employing this running back by committee approach. And he's seen how it works. Look at the Rams the last two years. They brought in bodies. They got the most out of their guys and they were able to keep Sony Michelle fresh by the end of the season because they sort of staggered how they were using him and Henderson to start the year. And also looking through all of these Kevin O'Connell stops, you see that he was on a lot of teams that really did a good job utilizing guys like Justin Jefferson. For example, even in that pathetic, terrible offensive year where he was an offensive play caller in 2019, Terry McLaurin saw a lot of volume. He saw almost 100 targets. He was really a, a difference maker if, if he wasn't sort of dinged up to end the year uh, and if he didn't have some really bad quarterbacks throwing him the ball. But I suspect one of the main takeaways that the Kevin O'Connell is going to have leaving the Rams and coming to the Vikings is he's going to try to use a lot of the principles that allowed them to scheme open Cooper Cup on Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson, as we all know, or anyone who's watched football the last two years, this guy is a freakish talent. He's, he's undeniable. So what I think is really going to work here is that Justin Jefferson is going to be used in the slot a lot more than he was, because that is what really unlocked Cooper Cups, especially on third downs and in high leverage situations in the red zone. The Rams have been able to really scheme open opportunities for him, bring him out of the backfield, all these crazy ways to get him open and get him in an opportunity to beat a guy, right? So Justin Jefferson in college caught 17 touchdowns out of the slot one year, and which was a record at LSU. He played, I think, 648 snaps in the slot in 2021, and he only played 250 snaps in the slot last year. So he was primarily out there as an X last year. So I think that O'Connell is going to really try to scheme Justin Jefferson open by putting him in the slot and making the most out of that sort of mismatch you can create by just getting creative with the way you use some of these big bodied, extremely talented physical receivers and get them a mismatch in the middle of the field and do whatever you can to scheme them open. Just don't rely on their talent there. So this sort of wraps up my discussion here. Thanks to everyone for listening. I'll be back next week with a guest, hopefully to talk about the USFL. We can update you guys on what's going on in that league. Until then, thanks as always for listening, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye now.